Welcome to another powerful message from One Life OK. We really hope you enjoy it. Well, we've been talking about stewarding abundance, right? What are some abundances we've learned about? Authority, love, time, power, the inside scoop. Really, lots, lots of an abundance of abundances. Um, and when I was thinking about all of those areas, he was showing to me that there is this defining factor in if we're able to receive the abundance that God is wanting to pour out. And that factor is if we have humility. And so that's what I'm going to be talking about tonight is humility. We're going to get a definition change. Um, it is a really weird word that people, I feel, get all jacked up <laughs> and unbalanced. Um, but listen to Merriam-Webster's definition. It defines humility as freedom from pride or arrogance. I liked that. I thought that was good. Freedom from pride. Well, what is pride? That's another word we get messed up. I like to say pride is simply any belief or thought we elevate over what God says. So humility, then, is simply believing what God says. And that is the process that we will be in every day of our lives. We will never get away of changing our beliefs to be in alignment with what God says. So this means having to let go of what we think, what we believe, what we are ways. We have ways. I mean, even think of like little toddlers. They have a way. Where did they learn that? We have to learn to let go of our way. Proverbs 22, 4 in the Amplified says, The reward of humility, that is, having a realistic view of one's importance. So there's another, another definition of humility, having a realistic view of one's importance. And the reverent, worshipful fear of the Lord is riches, honor, and life. So the reward of humility is the abundance we've been talking about. Riches, honor, and life. Um, I want to, mainly I'm going to be in Ezekiel 47. And some of you have probably heard this story before. It's about the water that's going up, up, up. Um, but he was showing me that this is our lifestyle um, that we will walk out in humility. And so I'm starting at the very beginning of 47.1, the passion. Let's just say thank you, Brian Simmons, for the passion. He connects it all. It is really crazy. So uh, verse 1 says, it's called a life-giving river flows from the temple. Then the shining man, that's Jesus, He's shiny. Brought me back to the entrance of the temple, and I saw water flowing from underneath the temple threshold. So that water right there, that water flowing, um, is talking about rivers, and it actually points to a river that is in the very beginning of the book. So let's go to Genesis 2. This is the river in the Garden of Eden. So starting with verse 8, this is really amazing. So it's talking about Eden and what all God did in Eden and this river. 
So it says, Then Yahweh God planted a lush garden paradise in the east, in the land of delight, and there he placed the man he had formed. we got to go look at these footnotes because they're so good. The, war, the Lord wanted to plant himself in the dust of Adam and became life within him. In Genesis 2, we see the pictures of both a tree planted in the garden and God planted in man. As the tree was to receive nourishment from the soil, so Adam was to draw life and sustenance from his maker. Life for Adam depended on what he did with the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Life for you and me depends on what we do with the tree on which Jesus died. Jesus Christ is now the tree of life to us and is accessible to all who come by faith. So here he's talking about the two trees, right? Um, let's keep going. Oh, this one is good too. Okay, that second um, footnote. Man, it's all about the garden. Man began in a garden, sinned in a garden, and was driven out of a garden. Then Jesus came. He went into a garden called Gethsemane as a perfect man and tasted the fruits of our suffering and pain. He was then laid in a garden tomb that we might become the garden of his delight. God set man not in a factory to toil or in a school to study, but a garden, a place where life grows. So right there, we've got a good opportunity to lay down what life is supposed to look like. He said it's not a factory and it's not a school. Those represent two different things, factory and work and toiling and striving and a school in knowledge and understanding and our own ability, which we're going to get into later, but in a garden where he tends to us. Okay, we're still just on eight, right? Yep. Um, Yahweh God made all kinds of beautiful trees to grow there, fruitful trees to satisfy the taste. In the middle of the garden, he planted the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Okay, and we're going to read this footnote because it's so good. Um, that is the tree that gives the knowledge of good and evil, evil a possible merism for the knowledge of everything. The great need of the human heart is life or relationship, not knowledge. God never intended for a man to covet knowledge apart from a relationship with God. In the beginning, God didn't give Adam a list of commandments, but offered him living food to sustain him. Jesus Christ is that living tree. Uh, he is meant to be the life and sustenance of all whom God has formed. By eating of the living tree, Adam would have shown his daily dependence on God. So right there we see um, where our ancestor Adam um, had the opportunity to choose to stay in need of God. Okay, now we're getting to this part about the river. Okay, listen to this. This is crazy. Flowing from the land of delight was a river to water the garden, and from there it divided into four branches. Listen, see if this sounds like abundance to you. The first river, overflowing increase, encircles the golden-laden land of Havilah. The gold of that land is pure with many pearls and onyx found there. The second river, gushing, flows through the entire land of Cush. The third river, swift flowing, flows east of Assyria. And the fourth is the river fruitfulness. 
listen to that. That's so crazy. And so that footnote there says, when we interpret the names of the four rivers together, because remember it started as one river going into four, we read the river of God will bring overflowing increase, gush like a geyser, and swiftly bring God's people to success and fruitfulness. It was a limitless land of freedom. God gave the entire paradise of Eden to earth's first pair, a realm of endless pleasure without sin. That is this river that, that is talking about back in um, Ezekiel, which we'll go back to. But I wanted to really quickly finish this part right here. It says, Yahweh God took the man and placed him in the garden of Eden to work and watch over it. And that footnote work says, um, also worship. Our work is to be of service to God and an act of worship. God validates by working for him as Adam did by stewarding and tending the garden. So right here is the very first example of what God's original plan was, was that we would experience the abundance in the garden and he gave it to us to steward. And this is when he says, And Yahweh God commanded him, You may freely eat of every fruit of the garden, but you must not eat of the tree that gives the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will most certainly die. That footnote there says, Or dying you will die. God is neither unkind nor harsh. There's that thing that I was just praying. He's changing our minds tonight. Our tender Father God is gracious and generous to humanity. God alone knows what is good for us. That, to me, is one of the very first places that I have to let go of in humility, that He knows what's good for me, and He wants what's good for me. We, he knows that true freedom is in the loving shade. Oh, I skipped one part. To enjoy the good, we must trust and obey Him. He knows that the true freedom is in the loving shade of Eden, God knows that if we disobey, we will have decided for ourselves what is good and what is not good. We will have eaten the forbidden fruit and made ourselves our own gods. And so right there um, is such a great picture of this river um, and what that river was meant to do for us and kind of how it took a different a different place with Adam and Adam's choices. So let's go back to Ezekiel 47. And so um, God is wanting to free us, like free us from pride, like that definition said, but free us from the weight of having to figure out if something is good or not. That when we, when Adam ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, instantly came this, this, um, I'm trying to think of a word for it, but it put a weight on us to be the deciders. And when that was always meant to be God's part to play, is that He was the decider and that we would simply believe and rest in what He said was good. And so I just wrote this little thing. Uh, pride is simply any thoughts, viewpoints, or opinions we elevate above his thought over that thing. This is how the enemy hoodwinked Adam and Eve in the garden. They already had everything they needed and more, all through Papa God. 
but he, the enemy, convinced them that they could decide for themselves better than what God had decided. When we think we can do something or have some have to do something to make it happen, we do this. We step into pride. Je- Jesus became the door back to the garden through humility. And so I want to go really quickly over to Philippians 2, starting with 3. It says, Be free from pride-filled opinions, for they will only harm your cherished unity. Don't allow self-promotion to hide in your hearts, but in authentic humility. Notice those two words, authentic humility. Put others first first, and view others as more important than yourselves. Abandon every display of selfishness. So he's given us some tool, some insight. This is authentic humility. Here's how you practice it. Abandon every display of selfishness. Possess a greater concern for what matters to others instead of your own interest. And consider the example that Jesus, the anointed one, has set before us. Let his mindset become your motivation. And this is what it says. He existed in the form of God, yet he gave no thought to seizing equality with God as his supreme prize. So what that's saying is he was God, but he actually humbled himself. He actually said, I'm not going to even say, this is mine. I deserve this. I'm God. Instead, he emptied himself out of his outward glory by reducing himself to the form of a lowly servant. He became human. He humbled himself and became vulnerable. There's another key for you. Humility will feel vulnerable. Here's another part. Choosing to be revealed as a man and was obedient. Humility and obedience go hand in hand every time. If you're wanting to practice humility, practice obedience. It's the way that you let go of your way for his way. It says he was a perfect example even in his death, a criminal's death by crucifixion. Because of that obedience, God exalted him and multiplied his greatness. He has now been given the greatest of all names. Um, I was listening to this sermon from Michael Koulianos recently. He said, greatness is the confession of need, not the convincing of a rival. And so right there... When he said he's been given the greatest, that's what that made me think of. Greatness is the confession of need. I am made more great when I say I am in need. Not by trying to convince others that I've made it. And so I want to go back to that phrase, authentic humility. Authentic humility. Because what we have, a lot of us have examples of, um, thinking that pride is simply just um, thinking of yourself really bigly. But like I said, pride is just simply any thought you have about yourself over what God has said. So when you believe that you're a worm, you're in pride. So um, there's this thing, though, called false humility, where, where I treat myself, I, I um, make myself small, in order to make it seem like um, I am changing my mind about about something that, I, that I'm putting out, that I'm humble. Um, but it, he told me that false humility is actually counterfeit ownership. And so because when I step into false humility, I'm actually saying I'm, I'm creating this whole fake identity. That's why this authentic humility is, is key. False humilities 
acts like um, I'm doing all this stuff, but really I don't change what's inside my heart or what I believe about myself. So I'm not owning anything that's real. It's counterfeit ownership. I'm not actually stewarding the belief of what he said about me because I'm still holding on to this other belief. And I'm partnering that with, okay, well, let me make this look like I'm being humble or I'm being less than. And so that's where he wants to rework it for us. So let's go back to Ezekiel 47.1. So he's talking about to the entrance of the temple. From underneath the temple threshold, the lowest place, he flows to the lowest place. It was flowing eastward. Uh, for the temple faced east. Water was trickling out from the south side of the temple, south of the altar. So right there when it's talking about underneath the threshold, and they actually found in, there's a literal place, um, a literal temple, it's Temple of the Mount, um, that what happened was a spring actually cultivated and went down inside underneath the temple. So they call it a water table, which I'm not totally sure what it is, but it was a large amount of water that naturally flowed underneath the temple. And so what I felt like he's saying is that you've already cultivated a flow in your secret place with him first. There was a reservoir. um, Priests actually used it for like ceremonial cleansings and, and purification, but it was inside the temple underneath the threshold. Let's keep going. Then he took me out by the north gate and led me around to the gate that faces east. And there I saw water flowing out on the right-hand side, south of the gateway. So here we're about to go into the first level of water. Yeah. The man holding his measure, measuring line walked east and measured off a thousand cubits. This says it's about a third of a mile. Then he made me wade across the shallow water and it was ankle deep. And so um, in that footnote right there, it refers to our walk in Christ. So when we first accept Jesus, our lives are changed. Um, and it actually is referring to this story in Acts 3, where a man was healed and his ankles from the exact same gate. So we're going to go there really quick. It's it's Acts 3. I want to help us see how this lame man walked in humility. It said, One afternoon, Peter and John went to the temple for the three o'clock prayer. As they came to the entrance called the Beautiful Gate, they were captured by the sight of a man crippled from birth, being carried and placed at the entrance to the temple. He was often brought there to beg for money for those going in to worship. When he noticed Peter and John going into the temple, he begged them for money. Um, This footnote right here is really good. Um, It says, The beautiful gate points to Jesus, who is the gate or entrance into the sheepfold of God. It hints of Ezekiel's temple, which is where we were just talking about. In 47, which has a river flowing out from the threshold through the gateway of the temple. This river was first measured to be ankle deep. This man, lame in his ankles, was healed by the spiritual river that flowed out of the beautiful gate of Christ. 
And so it says, Peter and John looked straight into the eyes of the crippled man. Look at us. Expecting a gift, he readily gave them his attention. So here he is. He's begging. Um, he ha- had been there his whole life. He had actually, someone had to have sat him down there and said, hey, this is the only way you're going to make ends meet. You've got this handicap, you're disadvantaged. This is the only way that you're going to survive and be able to provide for yourself. So he did that for years right outside the place of worship. So, of course, that's why I love that it says that he, he, he thought he was going to get a gift. Uh, then Peter said, I don't have money, but I'll give you this. By the power of the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, stand up and walk. Peter held out his right hand to the crippled man. As he pulled the man to his feet, suddenly power surged into his crippled feet and ankles. The man jumped up, stood there for a moment, stunned, and then began to walk around. As he went into the temple courts with Peter and John, he leapt for joy and shouted praises to God. And so what I felt like he was showing me was that right here, this man had an opportunity to get offended because he didn't, it didn't come the way he was used to receiving a blessing, the way he was used to receiving uh, provision. Um, he, he was thinking, oh, they're going to give me money. And they're saying, no, I'm not going to give you money. I'm actually going to give you something better. Um, and that was a way that this guy received his healing through humility by saying, I actually do want that more than I want to sit at this, this temple day after day just to make ends meet. And it points to the picture of us, like I said at the very beginning, we experience healing and our lives are changed. Um, it's the it's the first area that we get to begin to walk out, practicing humility, doing a, a way of life that we're not used to, that we've never done before. Um, and it, there's just every day is an opportunity to lay down my way. So that's the first water level. Let's go on back to Ezekiel 47, starting at 4. He measured off another thousand cubits and told me to wade across the street again. The water was up to my knees. Here the footnote says, The knee-deep river of God points symbolically to a life of prayer. We bow our knees before the Father of glory and enter into the flow of life through prayer. So right here, we start out ankle deep, right with our walk with Christ. Then we go knee-deep into our life of prayer. We begin to pray. We begin to have conversation with God. This is the next level up that we need humility. What does it look like when you're talking to God or you're asking God for things and you either don't get it or it doesn't turn out the way you thought? What do you do with those thoughts that you have? We all have them. To act like we don't have them is not humility. Again, let's go back to authentic humility. To, to act like we don't have issues or we're not upset or we're not disappointed. That's not what he's asking of us. He's asking of us to bring those things to him and say, will you change my mind? It's another place that we get to practice staying in the secret place with him and cultivating um, humility, cultivating, letting him flow through us and change our minds in our, in our prayer life. So let's go to this third level, which is the waste. He measured off 
another thousand cubits, and made me wade across the stream again, and the water was up to my waist. And the footnote here says, the waist-deep river of God points symbolically to what we produce or give birth to, for the water soaks the reproductive organs. When the life-giving spirit river reaches our loins, we begin bearing the fruit of the spirit, which is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control or spirit strength. Spiritual offspring and enduring works that glorify God. So fruit of the spirit, we actually start to produce fruit. Um, so enduring works to endure, to continue. He's saying keep going, keep producing fruit. Um, this is where I feel like a lot of people cap off at. They begin to see that their life produces fruit, and they begin to take matters into their own hands because they're seeing that their life produces fruit. What they forget, though, is that how the fruit came about was through humility, was through allowing the Holy Spirit, allowing the water to continue to flow. And so then we get to this last water level. What's interesting about this is the last water level is over our heads, but first, we actually bear fruit. So think about the order of this. We experience fruit bearing before we realize we're in over our heads, before we realize our understanding cannot take us where we need to go. We're actually producing things before we get to the place where we realize how limited our understanding is. Five and six, he measured off another thousand. It was now a river over my head, which I was unable to swim across. It was a deep, swollen river, a river no one could cross. The shining man said to me, son of man, do you see this? Right there. No doubt Ezekiel was stunned by seeing a stream start as a trickle and end up becoming an impassable river. I think we sang about that on Sunday. The rhetorical question that was posed to Ezekiel could be made into an emphatic statement saying, Son of man, pay close attention to the miracle you just witnessed. Get this revelation. A river over your head points to the revelation of the Holy Spirit that is deep and limitless which cannot be humanly crossed over or understood without divine help. This deep river is flowing in us today and will cause us to go beyond the earthly realm into God's life in the Spirit. When the river is this deep, we will become totally dependent upon the Holy Spirit to teach, guide, and empower us. Human intellect will not be able to fathom the depth of this Spirit river. Don't we all want to get to that place where we can't even, we've, we've maxed out. We've maxed out here. <laughs> we can get there faster than we think. Um, it was really cool. He, I got this phrase from Aaron, flip the script. He flipped the script for me on the word understanding. Kingdom understanding is to stand under. Understanding is to stand under the goodness, character, and words of God. So King. The world's version of understanding is, how can I get this in here? Kingdom understanding is, how can I stay in this place and be protected and learn that you're good this way? And so I was seeing when, when we got to this part about over my head, I'd seen this picture of like the water is so like, so now I'm just kind of like this. 
I'm kind of floating, you know? And that is the consistency of staying in humility. That is going to produce that steady eddy, that smoothness, that balance that we're all wanting. How much I can lay down my way will determine how much is able to flow. And so I saw, you know, these two, two pictures here. When we're not in humility, when we're in pride, when we're stubborn about that we have to do it my way, you know, it usually looks like this. And maybe I kind of get my stance firmed because I'm coming. I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm protecting against anything that could possibly come. I'm ready. I've steadied myself. But this other picture, when I'm floating, I'm like this. Which one seems more open and able to receive? And the argument a lot of people have is that this one exposes you more. You're more susceptible. And I would say that that's the point. See, the enemy has got us so in our heads about what will protect us. But like the kingdom version of understanding is, I actually stay in that position and I don't get up. And it actually causes God to come near. It causes him to be who I've always wanted him to be. And so when that voice comes knocking, because it will, and it says, protect yourself, you've got to think about you. Make sure that you're good. What if somebody tricks you? What if somebody deceives you? Stay, don't get up. Stay in that position, because the longer that you stay there, that thing will just float on by. And what remains is that God is still hovering over you and protecting you. That's the only way that we get to experience the truth is if we can stay long enough. He's not mad that we have those thoughts. He's not mad that we need to build trust with him. He wants to be a really good father to us, and so he is willing and able to build trust. But it comes to that open position. So this is one of my favorite parts. Um, what happens because of this river? So back to... The shining man. Shining man said to me, Son of God, or Son of Man, do you see this? Then he brought me back to the riverbank. When I got there, I was astonished to see an enormous number of trees on each side of the river. He said, This water flows east down to the Jordan Valley and to the Dead Sea. As it flows into the stagnant waters, that water becomes fresh water. Let's stop here. Because there's, there's life, there's trees growing alongside the river because the river is actually producing what those trues, trees need. What do trees produce? Fruit, shade, oxygen, other things that other people need. The river produces life to one object that then produces life to other objects. This is how the kingdom is meant to flow. The water flows into stagnant waters. I love this part. That water becomes fresh water. That's, we don't have to be messed up about where people are at. You continue to stay in a place of humility, and you allow him to change you, 
Those stagnant waters will become fresh waters. It's not my job to try to manage what other people have going on. I can guarantee that my humility will make a way for other people to step in humility. But if I am set on right fighting or making sure that my way gets done, I just showed that person what I value in relationship. I just showed them how we're going to interact. I told them how to treat me. But when I, when I come in humility and I actually say, you know what, I can lay this down. It freaks people out, number one. People are who aren't used to, you know, I'm in a profession that is very dog-eat-dog. Dog. They're trying to get their dollars. They're trying to make sure they're looking out for number one. And it is astonishing what just simple kindness, simple thinking about someone other than me does for other people. When I can get me off my mind, when I can say, hey, this job that I'm working in isn't even about what I can do here or what I can get, but how can I serve this company? And that is, if you have a job or you're training up little people as your job, um, that is going to be your training ground because you're there most of the day. He will act, He wants to help you walk in humility to say, I lay down what today was going to look like. I lay down trying to get X amount of dollars. I lay down trying to get this done for what you want to do today. And the rest flows from that place. Okay, where were we? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Stagnant waters to fresh water. Wherever the river flows, all living creatures will live and thrive. So right there is another example where because the river is flowing, every living thing is thriving. So not only is the river going, and producing and expanding, but everything around me thrives. Schools of fish will be very plentiful. For wherever the river goes, it brings healing, and everything will come alive. Fishermen will crowd its banks and spread their nets from Engedi to in Eglum. And um, what's interesting about those two words is the first one says the fountain of the kid, and the second one says um, the fountain of two pools. And so the the way that I translated that is that um, fisherman is talking about the harvest. Harvest spreads from this fountain of a kid to two rivers, to multiplication. So we're talking about from the youngest to even more than what we thought, two rivers. They will catch as many species of fish as there are in the great sea. This one's probably my favorite part in 12. Along both banks of the river, every kind of fruit tree will flourish, and their leaves will never wither, and abundant fruit will always be on their branches. Each month they will bear a fresh crop of fruit because this life-giving water comes from inside the sanctuary. There's fruit every month. Every month of the year there's fruit. There's never a month that's, a, that's even a winter month. Fruit is still being produced every month because of the water that's coming from inside of our hearts. That's what's possible. It's possible to... It's possible to do this all the time. 
it's possible to live a lifestyle. And wherever you're at right now is where he wants to help you. It does no good to beat yourself up about where you're at. Hating your immaturity is just going to guarantee you're going to stay immature. But allow him to use whatever he's using right now. Maybe you don't want to get up. Use that. Once you've got that down, he'll upgrade to the next thing. He can't upgrade to the next thing, though, until you get that first thing down. And that's why we're not experiencing his abundance is because because of this process of humility. We can't simply obey and believe what he said about the first thing, so he can't pour out more. The fruit will be good to eat, so good fruit, and the leaves will bring healing. So life all around us thrives, fruit in every season. Just out of the stuff that was listed there, there's balance, health, abundance, the harvest of hearts. They all come from this place of humility. And it's what he said. It starts from inside the sanctuary. The cool thing about what happens is the reason it has to start there is because humility does this amazing thing where if we don't turn off the hose, it actually does the washing of our hearts. We don't have to make ourselves clean. Jesus already did that. But when we keep the door open to humility, humility can flow and flow and flow and soften and soften and soften. You know, what's crazy about water is that water um, doesn't seem in the natural strong compared to something solid like a rock. But if water continually goes over rock over and over and over, it actually, it actually degrades and changes the shape, changes the terrain of the rock that it's going over. It's actually more powerful than the solid. So if you're feeling like a solid in an area, allow his water to flow over. You don't even, again, like sometimes I think we get so concerned about our hard-heartedness and that focusing in on our hard-heartedness is going to help us not to be hard-hearted. But it actually, we're just looking at the thing and we're just like, yeah, I'm hard-hearted. Yeah, I'm hard-hearted. Yeah, I'm stubborn in this area that doesn't produce life in us. But if we would say, Holy Spirit, you search my heart. And he says, hey, let's open this door. And you open that door. That's how that flow begins to come and erode and shape the way he wants it to be shaped. So don't allow anything to come and stop his flow. Because his flow is what has the power to keep you. Okay, so what's cool is we started, you know, Ezekiel, the beginning of Ezekiel 47, um, points back to all the way to the garden. And that river is flowing in the garden. But what it also points to is the very end of the Bible in Revelations 22 which is that river that we've been talking about. So we're going to go there. Revelations 22. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, flowing with water clear as crystal, continuously pouring out from the throne of God and of the Lamb. The river was flowing in the middle of the street of the city, and on either side of the river was the tree of life, 
So here we are again. The tree of life was in the very beginning, right next to the river. And here it is again being restored. And notice what it says right here. With its 12 kinds of ripe fruit according to each month of the year. We just went over that in Ezekiel. So by continually living a life of humility, it actually brings us closer. It's what prepares the way. It's the way we prepare ourselves as our bride, as a bride to Jesus coming. This is this is the end. Like this is when he's coming back. There's no more book after this. And it's telling us what 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 does the scenery look like? It looks like this river is still flowing. This river is still producing life. There's fruit every month of the year. It said that I think you think that's so crazy that it notates it there. The leaves of the tree of life are for the healing of nations. And this is what happens because, because that river has continued to flow. Every curse will be broken and no longer exist. For the throne of God and of the Lamb will be there in the city. His loving servants will serve Him. That word also means worship. They will always see His face and His name will be on their foreheads. His name has taken up our mind. Who He is, what we think about, our ways, what we believe, has permeated what we believe. Night will be no more. They will never need the light of the sun or a lamp because the Lord God will shine on them and they will reign as kings forever and ever. And so can you hear tonight that it's all the same story? God is always trying to get us back to the garden. From the beginning, he's wanted to give us more than enough so that we could steward it. And so as we wrap up tonight, I just want to invite you in your hearts to just make a promise tonight. Maybe this is really new to you. Maybe you're realizing, oh, I have always chosen my way. And he's saying, oh, but there's such a better way because his way is for you. What's so crazy is when we even get our way, that's where that self-sabotage comes in where we think we think we know what we want, but the thing that we want isn't actually what we want. I mean, it's so confusing. But God wants to eliminate that whole process by bringing us back to the garden where we could simply trust. And so I just want to encourage us tonight that it is possible. It is possible. And so just begin to ask him, what does that look like? What is my next step in allowing the flow to start from the threshold, it will seem like a trickle from the beginning. But think about the three places, or the four places. We start with our walk with Him. Then we go to prayer. Then we go to producing fruit. And then we get to in over our heads. That in over our heads place is the place. That's the place we don't ever have to go back. And that's the invitation is to never go back. Once we've tasted and seen a Oh my gosh, it's so much better when I'm not trying to do this out of my own strength, out of my own ability. We'll just never get to a place that we won't need humility 
it will always be the doorway to more. When we can lay down ourselves, we can access what he always wanted life to be about. We're meant to live this life tied to the one for all of our days. And humility ties us to him. It says, I value you over I value me. I value this connection over I value me. And so, Papa, I just pray over all of our hearts today. I just thank you for the ways you've already been moving. And I just thank you that you're going to begin to unfold what true humility looks like, that we can walk in greatness because of you, that you made us a little lower than yourself so that you could be with us. And so I just thank you that humility is the place where it all begins, that you flow to the lowest place, that that is a place that you can work with, that you want to produce more than enough, that what starts as a trickle is a crazy gushing river that is out of our control, and that's exactly how you made us to want it. So, Papa, I just release over people's hearts tonight even that that fear of control. I just... Thank you that you're coming to identify where that all began and that nobody came to the planet wanting that. Everyone came to the planet wanting a good father, wanting to know what your ways were. And so I just bless every heart to receive this word. I thank you that it is a seed that is planted that with continual watering you'll unfold. And I just thank you that we never grow out of needing, needing you. That humility has to be accessed just like breathing. That we need you. We cannot do this without you. We don't want to do it without you. And so I just thank you that you're depositing that hunger in people tonight. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from One Life OK. For more information, please visit us at onelifeok.com. 